You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. This week we're back here talking about Vagrant Queen on Sci-Fi Channel and yeah, <laughs> Russian Doll on Netflix yeah. season one. <laughs> Uh, so we have a lot of interesting and maybe not so interesting things to talk about this week. Let's get into what we've been watching. Elizabeth, what did you watch this week? So this week, I do actually have one this week. I can remember it. (laughs) Mostly because we specifically watched it with the intent of me having something to watch. This is true. Because I'm terrible. Um, so this week, Mitch selected a movie I haven't seen that he was insistent I needed to see. And so I watched uh, Kung Fu Hustle, which is yeah. a perfectly perfectly classic bad 80s action movie. I mean, it's not um, from the 80s. It's from like the late 2000s. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It has, but it has that it does 80s have that, feel. Because yeah. like, it, it, it fits right in with my love for Big Trouble in Little China and um, Buckaroo Banzai and other just great bad 80s movies <laughs> so and it was it was excellent it was exactly what i wanted it to be based upon what i thought it was going to be <laughs> um so it was it was quite perfect i mean a name like kung fu hustle what what exactly did you expect it's I true mean, when you look yeah. at the picture with the name so like the name doesn't necessarily give it away but if you look at the cover uh-huh the Netflix thumbnail. The Netflix thumbnail, and you were to slide up thumbnail for Big Trouble in Little China, you'd go, "Yes, <laughs> you are the same." Yes. I feel, uh, oh, go ahead, Stephen. Oh, no, like I, the movie when it was first like um, out there in commercials and stuff like that. I don't think that they marketed it as like a full-on comedy thing. No. Like they tried no. to sell it by the serious half of it, and so actually watching it, I was. I, I was surprised, <laughs> but not in a bad way. Okay. See, and I don't remember it coming out. I don't remember any advertising for it. So I had no clue that this was even a thing that existed until Mitch was like, this is what you should watch. Well, she was like, mm-hmm. what's something that's like Big Trouble Little China? I said, well, let's go ahead and just type in Bug- Big Trouble Little China on Netflix, their search bar, because they'll usually be like, well, we don't have that, but these are things that are like it. And Kung Fu Hustle was one of the things that showed up. So I was like, all right, this is a this is a good one for her to watch. I, I, I assumed. And 
honestly, at first, while we were watching, I didn't know if she was actually enjoying the movie or not because she was very <laughs> stone-faced. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's very hard to keep track of. So, like, so Buckaroo Banzai is another one that I love and I put in the same category. And my favorite part about Buckaroo Banzai is the fact that the entire storyline very much feels like they handed a third grade boy a piece of paper and said, make your own movie. Whatever hero you want it to be, we'll just give you millions of dollars in budget to just create this story. So, like, the characters do way too many things. There's way too much going on because, you know, you're trying to be, every little kid wants to be, you know, a rock star and a surgeon and a kung fu master and president all at the same time so this very much felt like the same lines where they're like here third fourth grader write a kung fu movie and they're like okay i'm gonna make them run really really fast and they're gonna be able to punch things from the heavens and they're going to be able to turn into frogs. Um, I mean, that's just anime. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it was very much, it was great in that way, but it was very hard because I was like trying to keep track. Cause the first time you watch through any of those, it's hard to kind of track what the story's supposed to be and where it's going because there's so much going on. So I was like trying to filter through, okay, is that relevant to the main storyline or is that just a a thing? Okay, that's just a thing. Okay, okay, this is the main storyline. Okay, okay, that's just another thing. So that's where the stone face was coming in because I was like trying to track what was going on. There's there's also like a certain kind of like storytelling that I think happens in a lot of Chinese cinema in general. Mm -hmm. Where like there, there's a character who at the same time is integral to the plot, but also seems like this character that no one would give a shit about yeah. Yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and I, I think that's it's an odd one to track because at the same time, so many serious things are happening in the movie. There's that part with the I forget what it is in the middle of the square where he like ends up like punching the thing, the traffic light. And it, yeah, it, yeah, and it would be this big moment. In anything else? And I feel like while it's sold as a big moment, it's pretty calm yes. all told <laughs> um like in that um there's another film that steven chow did that was a uh, journey to the west Ooh. same kind of thing where it's like big things happen but eh. but i did like journey to the west but i feel like only the first third of it is good yeah that's, that was okay. me like oh the beginning of it was so great and then just kind of went like and it probably because i was like thinking of shaolin soccer and kung fu hustle which i love and then Journey to West was kind of just a little bit too different. Of it's like, it's, it's different of a feel. Yeah. It's like kind of depressing at the end. Yeah. And you're kind of like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, I usually feel happy at the end of these movies. Now I feel like I want to curl under the blankets. Like, oh. No. Uh, maybe I won't watch that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll stay away from that one. Steve. Uh, it's, it's very pretty though. Like it's so well filmed, but. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Chow is the writer, director, and star of those movies. He also did a movie called CJ7 where uh, it's not so much... He plays the father, so the movie isn't um, revolve around his character all that much. It's more about the his, the character's daughter who finds an alien. I don't know if anybody else has seen this one. It's more of... No. It, it's, like a, it's kind of more of a kid's movie. Um, 
if you get the opportunity, you should probably check it out if you liked his other stuff. So, uh, yes, Kung Fu Hustle is now available on Netflix. Jessica, what did you watch this week? I watched with my parents this weekend the Doolittle movie that came out this year with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, I'm How sorry. is that? It was good. I liked it. I, I really liked it. It was really cute, sweet. Um, That's I Thank you, Jessica. No. Thank you. You were no. helping me win the argument. No validation. <laughs> that movie is not good. Did you guys watch it? We yeah, saw it we in the theater. theaters because I really I'm not wanted to. Saying it's a great movie, it's a good Disney to film movie. But it's like, not it's Disney. Just, it's, <laughs> it's a solid. Disney does animation great. Disney live action always has been hit or miss. It's like not Disney. This... That's, That's not. A, it's Disney. It's not a Disney movie. Yeah, I think it's like. Is it Fox Searchlight or what? What is no. it? I don't think it. Oh, I, don't even, I swear it was Disney. Because, like, that was a big thing about the movie. Like, when it was coming out, it was that they did as much as they could to make it look like a Disney type movie. But it wasn't yeah. Disney. Well, they did a good job of that because I swore it was a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I could be harsher on it than not. So I'm not just kidding. Yeah. Hey. That's the story. There it is. No, just, no, just kidding. And I actually did think it was cute and sweet. It was just. There were things that I wish they would have elaborated on more. I definitely like the changing of the story. I had recently watched the original Dr. Doolittle, which is like the older one that has the giant snail at the end. And I actually really like that one. Um, And it kind of sort of reminded me a little bit like they were trying to reach to be more like that one as opposed to what is it? The Eddie Murphy one that came out. Right. That was a weird one. Years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wait, why is that one the weird one? Because as a kid, I read the original book. Oh, so the fact that they updated it made it weird? It's odd. It's not at all that character. Like It's, it's like comparing uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs from the original book to the film. It's a yeah. drastic difference. Yeah. Well, or like um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Charlie and the Chocolate mm-hmm. Factory is much closer to the book than Willy Wonka and yeah. the Chocolate Factory. The, peop- the characters, the character development completely changes. Yeah. And the Great Glass Elevator is the better Willy Wonka story anyway. Valid, but... <laughs> I, don't worry, they're making that into a thing now, too, so... Not with Johnny Depp, right? No, not with Johnny Depp. Cool. I'm going to get point. <laughs> so what did you think of all the voice acting in that, uh, Jessica? I thought it was, it was good. I liked all the voice acting. I was constantly like looking up who was who, though, so... <laughs> Like, I don't know names. I'm just like, I know that voice. I know that voice. <laughs> I, saw, I saw that movie. Yeah. So, I mean, what was it like, Tom? It's a good documentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah they, Tom Holland's in there. Uh, John Selena Cena. Gomez, Selena Gomez. Rami Malek. If I'm um, probably so butchering his name. No, Rami Malek is right. Are you? Oh, cool. Camille Nanjani. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is in there. Yeah. Craig Robinson was the one that was driving me nuts uh, as the the squirrel. Um, but <laughs> so I I'm honestly really interested in finding out what the movie looked like before the heavy edits and reshoots because apparently there was another version of that movie that was that was out there that did not test well, and then this is the version they get, and that's why you see a, like a lot of the movie that is out there now, the one that we we got is heavily ADR'd and like a lot of the time 
Robert Downey Jr. is not talking towards the camera because they yeah. had to change the story up so much that his dialogue no longer matched what was going on in the, in the movie. What, that was That's a pretty, why it seemed so off. Yeah. It was well, and a, crazy when he talked. Okay. A lot of the movie, um, I guess even when they shot the thing, they didn't like storyboard anything, even though it's a heavily CG involved movie. Mm-hmm. Um, from from what I understand, they were like when they were on set doing the things, it was kind of just like, ah, oh, no, yeah, and then the zebra will be here or whatever. Uh, and then as they went to actually go and make the final film, it was like, like maybe Robert Downey Jr. didn't quite understand exactly where he was supposed to be talking to in this moment. The director had a different idea here, and everyone was going with all these separate ideas of things. That's weird. Yeah. Because it's not so like Robert Downey Jr. is not used kitchen. to talking to green screen stuff because of Avengers and other stuff he's done. So Yeah, he, he's tested. I think the director just went to it with the really bad concept of how that should work. Yeah. Hmm. John, did you have an opportunity to watch Doolittle? I have not. I don't intend to either. The movie <laughs> did not look good. <laughs> it, was, it was very enjoyable. I really liked it. I liked the plot of it. I could, I could see the flaws and filming and now it makes more sense now that you said it was heavily edited afterwards but mm-hmm. um but no I, I really liked the idea of him being like sort of a loner again and hating humans because that was really close to the original doctor at least in the movie i never read the books in the movie the original dr doolittle didn't really like humans that much he liked the animals and one thing i liked is that in the original dr doolittle it wasn't necessarily that the animals were talking. He learned their own language. So there's like a line where he says how a pig says good morning as he hits the floor twice with his front right foot. Mm-hmm. Or, and that's and they kind of sort of showed that a little bit in this movie that he's learning their languages, not that just they're talking to him. Right. It's more like he's learned their mannerisms. Right. Which yeah. is what he, I liked. He's yeah. definitely learned it, and we're just seeing it translated for so that we don't have to. See, read subtitles essentially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so that where did you did you watch that on some kind of streaming platform? We down it was VOD? rented, so we rented it for about I think five dollars, and I think it was off of Fandango. Okay, so it's VOD five dollars right now. If you would like to go out and watch Dar- Downey Junior's Doctor Doolittle, John, what did you watch this week? Well, guys. I've not been handling this isolation well. So to try to desensitize myself to what I fear is the doom and gloom that we're fast approaching, <laughs> I decided to watch something pretty lighthearted. So I watched 2012 for the first time. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, God. I hate that movie. And, uh, I hate that movie so much. That is also a bad movie. It was, it was very ridiculous. I did enjoy... Uh, Woody uh, Harrelson's character, though, quite a bit. He's I thought the, he was his conspiracy nut. Conspiracy. Yeah, I was going to say, he's a conspiracy nut down in the middle of the woods. It's, uh, in the middle of, right? yeah, yeah, he's in he's in Yellowstone National Park. He's waiting for the big caldera to explode. Um, I have to say, I like his mentality. I liked his approach. So I was like, he knows that he was coming and kind of welcomed it. I want to get to that space. I know I'm still like, no, I don't want the volcano to blow up. But with some effort, maybe I can be like, yeah, volcano. I want front row seats to that volcano. <laughs> you know? And uh, so that was a bit heavy. And the thing I took away from that was like, that is exactly how our government would be. And that is exactly how they're being right now. Oh, my God. So 
to lighten things up even more, I watched a different documentary on conspiracy theories called Out of the uh, Out of Shadows on Netflix. Or yeah. no, I take that back. It's on YouTube. Yeah. And uh, it was actually really interesting. It didn't have a whole lot of new information. It's a lot of stuff that I've already come across before. But it was just kind of a breath of fresh air that it didn't have to do with government taking over the country, World War Three, asteroids impacting the planet. It was just about child trafficking and mind-controlled in Hollywood. Oh, just that. Okay. Yeah. Super Ooh, light okay. topics. Something more manageable, you know, that I can digest a little bit. So, yeah, that was an interesting one, mainly because it's from the point of view of a former uh, stuntman that, you know, talks about his experiences, you know, going to parties and seeing weird things, but never really thinking too much about it. Just thinking, well, celebrities are eccentric, whatever. And then after one really bad accident, having to get physical therapy, he started to talk to some people, including his physical therapist. That was like, oh, yeah, you don't know about these weird, like, occult things that they do? And he was like, oh, yeah, I did kind of notice that. And then he went down the rabbit hole. And, yeah, they go through everything from, like, Pizzagate to Epstein to that cult that Allison Mack was a part of. And uh, NK Ultra from the 60s onward. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really cool stuff. I was like, wow, this is a good primer for just like a lot of things it doesn't delve too deep in any particular thing it just kind of like spreads a good amount of like entry-level conspiracy stuff i mean other than uh you talking to us i think we need to get you to just cut off from the rest of the internet for a little bit i mean that's easier said than done when you don't have a lot of other stuff to do right now (laughs) i'll just i'll just keep on embarrassing myself and sending your videos you know what yes keep those tiktoks coming there (laughs) over and all the dances (laughs) john i i think after this we may have to have a discussion about other coping mechanisms that are available to you and might be healthy for you to explore send you some links to some buddhists so that you can like learn so i'm trying to submerge myself in them Okay, so getting back to 2012, (laughs) what exactly happened to John Cusack's career? Can anybody tell me? Like, do this? This was like a golden boy of the 80s and early 90s. I love John Cusack. I don't get it. Why do people like him so much? I like. I I had high opinions of him. Gross Point Blank. Gross Point Blank is a great movie. I I had I had good opinions of John Cusack, and then. I watched that Poe movie he did, and I I've like never gone back ever since. Oh yeah, the the Raven. I haven't seen whatever movie you're talking about. The Raven. Do it. It's the Raven, and yeah, it, it is a bad movie, but oh, I do like it. Oh, I've heard it was a bad. Movie. It's such a bad. They, they were like, ah, we. What could we possibly make another thing for all of these Saw loving people? Yep. It's what, like what, what can we do with it? It's Victorian you know? age Saw. <laughs> it's so bad. But this is what I'm talking about. Like, where, where did what? Ha- like, you can pick in Wesley Snipes' career where things started going down. Is when he 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 went to jail for not paying his taxes. You know, you can pick the part where you know Nick Nick Cage's career started going down because he owns a whole bunch of ca- castles in Europe that he needs to pay for, so he just does whatever is <laughs> in front of him. Like, what I did is not it? know this. Yes. I, yep. <laughs> What's the I thing? Would... Oh. I would say that it's probably that John Cusack is John Cusack and he's always John Cusack. <laughs> like he's, he's been the same. Now I, I want to for think like I want, 40 years. I want to imagine John Cusack saying that like, 
John Cusack's John Cusack. John Cusack's always John Cusack. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's kind of what it is. He really is almost not necessarily the same character, but he always is the same acting wise. Like he's, you can tell that's John Cusack. Like you don't even need who it is. Like that's, that's John Cusack just by watching five minutes of him in the film. No matter the makeup, that's John Cusack. (laughs) (laughs) With James Cameron. Where he's like, James Cameron does what James Cameron does because he's James Cameron. <laughs> is, that, is that a real James Cameron quote? It's, yeah, like he plays himself. Or, well, the character refers to himself in the third person and just keeps referring to the things that James Cameron does is because he's James Cameron. He's <laughs> like, why are you taking the submarine down to the deepest part of the ocean? It's just because John Cameron, John Cameron, uh, James Cameron does what James Cameron does. What is this in? South James Cameron. Yeah, but, oh, this is on South Park? <laughs> John Cameron. Oh. I kept saying John Cameron because it sounds like my full name, but kind of, sort of. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just, I mean, he was also in America's Sweethearts. Like, I feel like that was a good role for him, but. Oh, yeah, I liked America's Sweethearts. In high I liked him in Identity, even though the overall movie sucked. Oh, what? Identity's a great movie. Nah. I could smell that twist coming like halfway through and I'm like, oh no. I mean, they give it away in the poster, but it's still, (laughs) it's still a good movie. Oh, speaking of which though, uh, random trivia for that, um, his co-star in um, Identity, Amanda Piet, was also his wife or his estranged wife in 2012. That's true. Amanda Piet was in both of those movies. So, yep, yep. Uh okay so 2012 where is that available at right now? That is on Netflix and uh, Out of Shadows is on YouTube for free. There you go. Those are things that you can go watch. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, what did you watch this week? This week was a uh, a week of catching up on things for me. Um I have a lot of stuff that I picked up pre-quarantine um that I was just <laughs> behind on in general. Um, so like a lot of comics, things like that. Um, so this week was that, and then also rewatching a few things that I've seen before. So the, the main things I kind of steeped myself in were comics and old movies that I already watched. Um, so the two things that I guess were the biggest things recently for me was a newer comic called Tartarus. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty classic thing. It's kind of a, a little bit of escape from New York in the beginning, Ooh. but then it, of, like it goes and becomes the rest of the re- the comic. Um, if you read the, the description for the comic, it talks about who would become the main character in the second issue. Um, but the first issue, which is the one that I read and enjoyed the most, uh, actually follows that character's mother. So essentially, she was this big warlord on this like like chaotic kind of crime ridden planet. Um, that was also seemingly a prison colony, but that's not very clear yet. There's a lot going on in the beginning. Um, but she escaped from this place, and her daughter, who we see as a little baby in the beginning, is the, like, the, seems to be the whole reason that she wants to get out to raise her child. Um, and she's clearly got some kind of like supernatural abilities, things like that. But the cause of those things, again, not very clear. Uh, it's just there, there was something about the art of the comic where it's this really loose art that's clearly done all by one person uh, on a very manageable time schedule. <laughs> uh, and like it's it's that while still being 
overly ornate. Like it's it's very. Well, I forget the name of the director. The guy who did um, Fifth Element, Luke Besson. Yeah, it's very Luke Besson. Very, very, very. Okay. Um, but yeah, like I just I I was super drawn to this comic like months before in previews, and finally decided to pick it up. And I I think I'm in it for the long haul on this one. That's cool. All right. I don't, I, I don't know what more to say about that one because so much of it changes after the first issue, uh, and it's impossible for people to get comics right now anyway. That is that so, is also true. Yeah. Yeah, Tartarus is very cool though. Um, and then the thing that I watched that was something that I've watched before that I want to recommend to people in general was after a conversation that we had this last week, uh, I went back on a bender to watch films from the same studio and the same director, the people who did um, The uh, Secret of Kells. Ah. Yeah, so I went back and watched The Secret of Kells again. It's an animated movie. For anyone who likes Disney films or anything like that, or Samurai Jack-looking animation, this one's for you. <laughs> it's so pretty. It really is. The, the whole film, uh, it's based around the Book of Kells, the illuminated manuscript, um, and like a little bit of like extrapolated kind of mystery and story around the thing. Um, it involves a lot of, uh, I guess, like Western, like more like European lore that I think people don't delve into too much. Mm-hmm. And personally, I'm really typically turned off by. Um, I think a lot of European culture is pretty bland. Um, but I don't know if that's just because I'm a white dude. <laughs> so, like, I've, I've already gotten that stuff. Um, but, yeah, so it, it's just, like, rich Celtic art that's all throughout it. Um, and I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's one that I think, while the studio gets a lot of attention in general, I don't think that it ever becomes anything. Like, people go, oh, good job to the studio. But then it, that doesn't translate into dollars. Okay. So, so yeah. The Tartarus, now a lot of local libraries have their, uh, a lot of their selection of stuff online for people to read, comic books being one of them. Do you think that would be a book that might be able to, people would be able to find in their local libraries online? Uh, it's possible. I mean, it's still coming out as single issues and it had just started with like issue one and two. Two, I'm still not even sure actually came out because of the comics shutdown stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like I only read the first issue and then know a bit of what was supposed to happen in the second one myself. Okay. Uh, if you are able to pick it up on any kind of like digital storefront, like Amazon or anything like that, please do. And the secret of the Kells, uh, secret of Kells. You can, um, you can find that one on pretty much all streaming services to rent, but I believe right now you can just watch a version of it on YouTube. It's just there. <laughs> like there's always a version of it that someone's pirated and put up. That's a pretty good quality version. Hey, John, you used to work at a, a public library. Did is how easy is it to get to the online library like that to read things? I think if you have a library card, then yeah, the hardest part is just getting the app or whatever it is. You just it's it's ridiculously easy. I'm actually doing it now to read some books that I wasn't able to buy. Before I just looked up, looked for Tartarus though, and they didn't have it. At least at our library, they didn't have it. Um, Damn it! You just you have to have a card. Well, go to your library site because you can usually get at least a digital card. I think they're doing that over over the internet right now because everything is closed. Because I feel like they said something about you can just get one here, like a digital code or something for it, and then you 
go to the link for ebooks and you download an app. I think the app for our ours is called Libby or something like that. And you go through that <laughs> app, link it with your library card, and then you just go through that app to search for books and you have them for about two weeks digitally. But you can extend that too if you need it. Is I there- like that the app has like a human name. <laughs> it has like a little human on the app too. Well, it's, it's like a little person reading a book. <laughs> Very book cute. Too, though. You can also get audio books, music, mm-hmm. and uh, movies. Oh yeah. There's, there's a lot of awesome resources. Actually, our library also has a resource for learning how to code too. How easy nice. is it to uh, recommend things to ask if they can get stuff? It should be pretty easy. I haven't done it myself yet, but as far as I know, you probably do it from your library site to recommend. Or but request, I, I guess, was the one I, yeah, the or, I was looking Yeah, at. you request. And it can, I don't know how long it'll take. It kind of depends, I imagine, on your library's budget. Right. So on how long it'll take for them to actually get what you want. But I think it's easier for them to get it if it's digital. Okay. Uh, so... I have been watching, and I guess I'm going to be talking a little bit more about Quibi again. Uh, a couple of new shows came on since the last time we talked. There is a movie starring Lawrence Fishburne and uh, who's the other guy? Skeet Ulrich, I believe, is the other star that's in it. The movie's called Hashtag Free Rayshon. Um, what? Yeah. It's essentially this guy is... Um, <laughs> this guy is uh, framed by the cops, or at least he, he claims to be framed by the cops for uh, killing another cop. And as he gets back to his apartment where his wife and kid are, uh, they now surround the place and he has barricaded himself inside his apartment. And he goes to social media to be like, hey, look, the cops are framing me for something. Um, They're trying to kill my wife and me. And then it just becomes a bigger you know, public um, scene. And... Now the cops can't kind of. I mean, you can you can tell that Skeet Ulrich wants to just go in there and kill the guy, because um, he's the main cop that's after him. Um, Lawrence Fishburne is the beat cop lieutenant that you know is still wearing a uniform and is doesn't know what's exactly going on, but he's kind of talking to uh, Rayshon and keeping a level head about things. It's actually filmed really well. It uses the um, the turnstile aspect of Quibi uh, in the the way that's intended, or at least one of the ways that's intended, so that whenever Rayshon is on his social media uh, doing an Instagram live video or whatever, if you turn it to portrait mode, you see it as a screen life instead of just watching him film the um, the live video, so to speak. That's the kind of thing that I want. Yeah, that's awesome. So that that one definitely uses that um, aspect of the app for what it was intended. Uh, the huh. other thing that I wanted to talk about was one of the ones that I uh, told Stephen to watch last week: the what uh, when the streetlights go on. So this one ended after ten episodes, and each episode is only about five minutes. And it literally the tenth episode just ends like it's like. Yeah, and then this happened, and this happened, and, th- and that was it. And it's just like, <laughs> wait, what? You you spent nine episodes building up this big mystery of who killed this girl, and then you don't really have a ending. It's just like 
this, 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 and done. Like it, like it's just dialogue from the main character who's been doing voiceover throughout the whole season, and it pissed me off greatly because I was very much into this show, and it just went like, like I, I went on to Twitter to see what other people were saying, and they were like, "Oh man, I can't believe it ended that way. It's so good. I want more." Like, no, no, no. That's not a I want more. That's a you didn't finish like kind of comment <laughs> you need to be saying. Is that cuz that's definitely not how you end something that you built you bit you built up in 9 episodes. You got to uh, go out on the high note, man. It wasn't a high note. I mean, I think people were confused that cuz it's definitely not a high note, uh, at least not for me. Um so when that happened, I was I was very upset about the whole thing. Uh, when the other thing that I, I did get a chance to, uh, watch was someone, uh, another, another short film by a friend that I had talked about before. Uh, she made the short film zombie debt, um, that I talked about in a couple weeks ago. She made another short, short film. It's called infectious. And it is basically a satire of eighties sitcoms like uh, full house and stuff like that. But, still in the world of zombies. So uh, the whole time where this daughter is trying to leave the house to go on a date, she, uh, her father stops her at the front door and says, you're wearing way too skimpy clothes. You need to start putting, and then the, the mother comes in and is like, yeah, you also need to put this on. And then uh, the son comes in and he's like, oh yeah, she needs to wear my you know knee pad so that her legs aren't <laughs> exposed. And you think it's all about like, it's because you know, they don't want her to be showing so much skin, but it's actually because there's zombies out there and you don't need to be exposing so much skin to might get bit. <laughs> so it's kind of got a funny little twist at the end, but it is definitely um, because of uh, this, the, the, the funny part of it is the satire of old 80s sitcoms, so to speak. So uh, I think there was one more that I saw but I can't think of it at the moment. So, uh, yeah, those, those are the things that I got to watch this week. Has anybody else given a chance to Quibi yet? It is on 90-day free trial. No, not at all. Anybody have any interest in watching it, after, especially after I talked about it? Like, I think uh, uh, there are a couple shows that a few people would enjoy. Nobody has any sure. interest whatsoever. Maybe. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like I said, it's 90 days free. You could try it and definitely close it right out. Uh, at this point, you can get a lot of the different shows because they, they release a new episode every day. Um, like I said, I think what, uh, a couple of you might be interested in uh, the Murder Flip House, That's so right, to speak. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't, the few episodes that I watch doesn't have enough of the true crime in it to make it interesting. So That would be a bummer. Yeah. Uh, okay with all that being said oh i'm sorry infectious is also on youtube with all that being said let's go ahead and at 35 minutes as steven would say jump right into vagrant queen <laughs> on sci-fi uh this was episode three um what, what was it called it's called nobody's queen we got some more backstory to our main character of alita yeah and, i mean we finally got a backstory I mean, like we yeah. had all we had was she was well for one I thought she was princess uh, and she was now queen on the presumption that her mother was dead but that's not true no, that's she not was the case queen before yeah and we got the fact that 
the uh, Republic caused a revolt and killed her mother. Like, that was the entirety of whatever backstory we had. So we didn't really have a backstory. We right. got some now. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I was... Because right before this episode started, I had turned to Elizabeth and said, you know, why is... Or... No, I guess it wasn't right before. It must have been during. Because I was like, yeah. is she queen? Because... Uh, what Whoa. you said was because her father died, who was the yes. king. And in the flashback where she was, her ship was getting attacked that first time, and her mother supposedly died. She is referred to as queen there, right? Yeah. So, but and her mother was alive in that scene. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, no, but with the backstory, we were having the conversation about why she was queen when her mother was still alive, and that's what it was. Therefore, should be queen in, in Mitch's mind. But my assertion is, is that she the mother is queen regent because yeah. She is not of the bloodline. She married into the royal family, became queen while her king was alive. Once her king died, she is no longer queen. She's just queen regent, and her child becomes the ruling monarch. But I had also wondered if that, if if anybody had seen Jupiter Ascending, that um, if it was a more of a the queen regenerates into another body or not regenerates but uh reincarnates into another body uh after after so many generations because I, I don't know if anybody else saw jupiter ascending because that was a very bad movie uh but i yeah. shamefully liked it <laughs> <laughs> very shamefully it was like one of those I, cheesy yeah. sci-fi books <laughs> that was Come that was life. not the impression i got because her one her biological mother was there advising her and if right. you're dealing with a reincarnation like that you would have standard advisors who themselves would essentially inherit power and would have no potentially biological relation to right. the reincarnated royal a and b you wouldn't have the same kind of sentiment of you know queen has to be above everything else i also thought that the that that advisor that male advisor was her father so i was completely off uh after that first episode so now knowing that he is just an advisor or at least her master of arms you know that it was interesting to to find to figure that out um maybe he is her father uh, maybe that could be some interesting twist then she would no longer be queen i would assume yeah she wouldn't be queen the bloodline would be dead what did uh what was everybody else's thoughts overall after watching this episode? That sure wasn't an episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, enough, I didn't hate it. Yeah. That, that's what, like, this is probably the best episode so far writing wise. Cause probably because of that background, because you kind of sort of get this slight twist in that you think that, you know, the Republic coming after her, that they're super duper evil and they are, but at the same time you find out, Oh, People were starving on our planet because, you know, it was kind of like a let them eat cake kind of moment with the queen or queen regent, I guess. No, that lady that so was... was like, well, that's kind of refreshing that <laughs> they're also not that good either. So, yeah, that lady that was advising her not to help out Palace or Palace or whatever the hell the, the name of that planet was. Um, mm-hmm. That wasn't her mother, right? Yes, that was her mother. I don't think it was. That was her mother. It may be a different yeah. actress, but that was her mother. Yeah. She refers to her as mom all the time and throughout yeah. that episode. I don't, I don't think so. But either way, um, 
that's one of the things that I thought was very interesting. Not very interesting. That was one of the things I thought was interesting about this show is that normally when we're watching sci-fi or even fantasy, we don't, I guess, you know, in our mindsets as Americans or whatever, we don't want the the ruling class, the royalty family to be in charge. We always want some type of government, and that's what the Republic, you know, kind of uh, represents. But mm-hmm. in this one, it's obviously very, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, are they bad? I mean, obviously, the one guy is bad. He tortures. But is the Republic worse than having this uh, monarchy? I don't know. I think it's evil, you know, versus evil, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I think not it's not quite a, black and white. Yeah. The individuals make good government, not necessarily the system itself. Yeah. I didn't necessarily love that they introduce a concept that's kind of sort of close to the force in this one. What was what was that? I don't The blue thing, the way that she is the queen or something, she supposedly her people were made when this one person managed to gain no, hold of no. a power that was mind control or something. That I, was not the as... that's not what I got from the storyline. The storyline I got was there was a ruler before her bloodline uh-huh. that had that power. Her yeah. bloodline overthrew that person, locked that power away, not even for themselves to use. Yeah, because eventually they used it for evil and and stuff like that. I took it even different from that. Just the power itself existing was slight annoyance. I didn't take that to be a power. I thought it was like a like a device or something that people of her bloodline can use. I got the impression that it wasn't her. The people of her bloodline they were the ones who rejected it. Its use as rulers. Because they didn't want to rule as gods, they wanted to rule as man. Because the turn of phrase. Oh yeah, used. but I still got that she could use that power, though. Yes, but I don't. I didn't. She I, could use it, but they chose not to. But I and didn't they locked think it, it away. Was, I didn't think it was limited to her bloodline to use that. Oh no! Oh, it wasn't. They took out everybody, and her bloodline took over. Was what it was, and decided yeah. to never use it again. It was just more the fact that now we have also powers thrown in too. <laughs> that was like and it's mind control powers i mean as we've seen in the show so far it's kind of has it's throwing everything in it's everything that you know about sci-fi and, and putting it in there for yeah, the i don't audience. need more stuff in this <laughs> show keep it simple and maybe it wouldn't be so bad well like that doesn't matter. i think that the things that are simple are the wrong things to be simple yeah I mean, I, don't know, I, really, I really wanted to like the show, so I'm just very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to be able to watch it in the background while I do something else. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like you're losing anything by having it just on in the background? No. But, like, honestly, like playing it in the background, it didn't really, I didn't lose the experience at all. Um, I, I still feel like all of the pacing of everything is wrong like did they change showrunners in like between when the show was shot and when it was edited or something i don't there, there seems to be such a big disconnect about when or like um uh comedic beats are supposed to hit and when it actually does happen in the episode like there's one whole part where um 
the in the beginning they have that scene in the convenience store kind of place right and the blue lady does the thing where she's like oh i'll pay for this and then she starts patting around and i think she's clearly supposed to say something about not having her wallet on her yeah <laughs> and, and that just didn't happen yeah, I noticed that too. What I think There's that is also, is that it's more of the the camera keeps running. Like they no the director of the episode hasn't called cut yet, so she's just ad libbing. Like that's I think they really use the ad lib in the show liberally. I, I I would agree on that one. I just you can pull good edits out of that stuff. Like half half of Scrubs, like the, there were whole scenes in Scrubs where the thing was just like the, in the script. It literally said like the guy who played the janitor. Mm-hmm. and then he just went and those things made up a large portion of episodes like you can pull good stuff out of things but I feel like people and so much what is the the guy who did Bridesmaids Paul Feig yeah like Paul Feig he, they had good success with those things but then Ghostbusters was not a good example of that despite the fact that I did like that movie I, I did, did too. like that movie too <laughs> I really liked that movie. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. So, John, you're very quiet on this episode. Is there anything that you'd like to add about the uh, Vagrant Queen, Nobody's Queen? Well, <laughs> I, I kind of took a backseat because I feel like I didn't have a whole lot to say. And what I did, I feel like Stephen and Jessica have pretty much covered. <laughs> uh, I, too, treated this episode like a background. Because, see, the trick to forcing myself to watch Vagrant Queen was that I hadn't figured out how to watch it on my television. I was only watching it on my phone. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I could cast it to my Chromecast. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, but the sci-fi app is compatible. Cool. So that still took a little trial and error, but this is the first time I was able to put it on the TV. And both my hands were free. <laughs> and I could just like not really focus on it because it was much bigger too. So I could like kind of turn my head, glance at it, looking, look back. When you're watching it on your phone, I mean, all your attention is focused on that little seven-inch piece of glass. It has to be. Yeah. And um, the volume was a lot louder, so I didn't have to, like, strain to make out what they're saying or, you know, read the subtitles. It was just a much more passive viewing experience this way. And I was able to actually enjoy the the low-budget aspects of the show even more now like i could see clearly that their space guns are actually just modified nerf guns oh they yeah this one was bad for that like when what's isaac pulls out his gun i was like that is so a nerf gun (laughs) the the set extension that they had for the convenience store they did like the the set extension across the front of it with a cg object Mm -hmm. it was like the building was like like 80 percent kind of bright colors but then they dirtied it up a whole lot mm-hmm. and then the, like the roof part of it that was there above what was supposed to be like the gas pumps and everything was just brilliant colors <laughs> it's like i did you guys you guys didn't even like <laughs> scuff right. it up a little bit it, it wouldn't be hard the, the camera stays in one spot to make it easy for that set extension to happen they didn't have to track anything but they were just like nah it's like sometimes they want the set design of Blade Runner, and other times they want the set design of the Fifth Element. And then yeah. when they interlap, it just looks muddy. And then it's, they also want the de- set design from Firefly, where it's like, oh, this is also yeah. a Western. And mm-hmm. all those yeah. three things don't mix. It don't, <laughs> they don't come in well with each other. And it, it, it's, it, the way the sets, for me, the sets, the props, and the costumes, it's, 
it all seems so low budget, like as if someone just is making a YouTube series. But then they have, it's not great CGI, but they have big CGI pieces and then makeup, like special effects makeup that is obviously going to need a lot of work and a lot of money and a lot of talent and experience. So I just don't understand where they decided to put money in like they it's so lopsided sometimes that's what i'm talking about like it seems like there was a disconnect from when they shot it to when it finally happened like it seems like someone had a different idea about what they were shooting and at the end when they're actually editing the thing that did not come together (laughs) and or they had no budget when shooting and then all of a sudden somebody's like oh we've got some extra money we'll throw at you they had money though because they did all the practical makeup that's true yeah but even That's what I'm music confused about. doesn't make sense. Like the music doesn't fit with the scene sometimes, or it's like just slightly too loud or just like, is it, is it a too many cooks situation? I, yes. Yeah, maybe it's probably a way too many cooks in the kitchen situation. Ooh, on IMDb, it has two stars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that this show is coming cool. back for another season. <laughs> uh, yeah. But and it's not it's not it's not going to get the expanse kind of treatment. Amazon's not bringing it back. No, Netflix uh-uh. isn't bringing this back. Uh So of the stuff that we got that was character building in this one, um what's the mechanic's name? Uh, Mel May something like that. May. A May. So the big one of the big I mean, it didn't seem very controversial in the episode, but Alita makes it more controversial as she keeps bringing it up is that she's like, oh, but someone needs to go with the May because mm-hmm. she needs to be protected. <laughs> and then Amay's like, I can take care of myself kind of thing. Like she obviously I saved them in the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess this was supposed to be an episode of her trying to show that she can take care of herself as her big thing was to call the robot to come save them. I I think I think it's just supposed to establish her interest in her. So that's yeah. what okay because oh, yeah. that also they don't I don't feel like they emphasize that enough in this show that if Alita is actually supposed to be romantically interested in a May like there was the first thing in the first episode but after that it, like everything else just kind of seems like she's just apathetic to everything and I don't know if that's a decision I, that the actress is making. I think that it was supposed to show that a May that. Alita has made a connection to Amei. Whether romantically, not romantically, I don't think that's been established, but just that she doesn't trust people, she doesn't let people in, and she's chosen to let Amei in. Because yeah. Amei makes the statement, she chose us. Like, Alita doesn't choose very many people, she chose us. She'd come back for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's what this was supposed to establish, is that Alita's very selective in who she chooses to care about. Hmm. She made a shitty decision with the Canadian lawyer, man. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't stop talking ever. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. She did and she didn't. <laughs> I don't know. The amount of uh, makeup that was went into creating the Jabba the Hut knockoff character <laughs> in the I, I thought I thought Boss Nass. Okay, Boss Nass. You know, that works too. <laughs> It seemed so like over the top for a character that was literally on screen for maybe three minutes total. Like it, I, I mean, we already talked about where the money goes in the show. I, do you think that we're going to be 
getting involved with that character more in the future? No. No. No, never again. <laughs> Which then led us to the one of his henchmen, so to speak, betraying <laughs> them and going to the general guy and like at first was I'm going to sell you information and then he's like, "Well, oh, I'm not going to sell you information because you're scaring me, so I'm going to give it to you for free." And then it, I mean, the blackout happens and it, it it alludes to the fact that he tortured him for the information that he was going to get for free anyways. Uh, yeah, like I I I feel like they were trying to do something with that. Like, they, they, like this whole thing feels like a bad D and D campaign. Is my <laughs> issue. Like yes. everything, everything is signposting towards the next goal uh-huh. every single time. And it's like that guy, this, this blob fished man, um, like he was, he's just there for this one little bit. And you, you see him just enough for him to do one thing, see her, recognize her and then go sell her out. Right. <laughs> I mean, what if it turns out at the end of the, la- the last episode, it, it you pull back and it, it is actually a and d game and someone was playing. Like, the, these are all people that are playing a and d game. That would finally make sense. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. All the uh, decisions on where to put money because... Everybody does so much character development, so you've got to do the elaborate makeup because that's where people have written backstories. And that's right. <laughs> yeah, and that's really that's, established. Yeah. That's, the, that's the DM sitting there like, I painted all these figures myself by hand, but he didn't spend gotta, any money on on sets. I gotta use I gotta use Boss Nass Jabba because I wrote him a whole backstory. <laughs> but then, but then at the end of the day, all the characters want to do is pet the little shitty Dalek robot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the introduction of this this robot companion, like R two D two, claptrap, C three PO, Dalek, whatever, is just like, too much. What, yeah, it's like I I I cared more, and I did not care at all about Moira in Farscape than I do about this stupid. <laughs> <fucking> robot. <laughs> uh, so, do you think that our now much larger team is going to? succeed in finding the queen regent on this other planet this time around or eventually on the next episode i think they find her they're disappointed she's not who she remembers she wants them she wants her to be the ruler but not for a reason that's good she put herself here she's not actually a prisoner (laughs) that's a lot of things steven that's all the tropes, man. That's all the tropes. Yeah, all but that's tropes. like that's like a lot, and there's not a lot that happens in any one of these episodes. I don't think there are enough episodes to do all that. <laughs> I, that's the problem. I think they say all of those things in one two-minute thing with one thing that says 15 years ago or seven years ago or whatever. And, and then for some reason, they say yet again, another galaxy not yours. <laughs> yeah, I don't I understand why you keep bringing that joke back. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, it's is it, too constant. Is it because at some point they're supposed to say like, "Okay, this one's yours"? Is that the whole thing? Are we doing that for all the episodes oh, until it's then? It's gonna happen because what's his face is from Earth. Yeah, Isaac, say, is Isaac, Earth. Earth. Isaac has to get back to his wife that he's been faithful to. Yeah, to and that's when he'll say it's yours. Yeah, it, that's what'll happen. <laughs> but I'm really annoyed that I get reminded every planet, and then I see. A dune buggy that I could see driving around my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and bipedal people acting as four-legged rodents. Like, that was... That do you was. think that at some point that was going to have, like, uh, 
CGI over the top of it. Like that was just a placeholder and they decided, no, nah, let's just stick with that. I do think so. Cause that's what we saw in the last, uh, what was the episode with the things when they were trying to refuel? Right. Mm-hmm. Was that last episode? Yeah. Yeah. They had practical stuff on the guy um, that you see in, pra- in practicals whenever they're doing things far away. Oh, but the they had apes. that one close up shot in the beginning where they put CG over the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they heavily planned on that kind of thing. Yeah. I honestly assumed it was some sort of like infection from whatever caused the death of the planet. And like those were the original inhabitants because I kind of figured Isaac was going to turn. Oh. It was gonna be a werewolf kind of thing. Yeah, werewolf zombie. Yeah, zombie kind of thing. Right. Okay. Well, we got a lot more episodes of this show to go, so we'll 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 be here to talk about it. We don't have to do this. Yes, we do. <laughs> we started it. Is it like a blood contract that we signed? Start an episode for Geeks Watch. We have to finish the whole that, season. Yes. Yes, that is absolutely. No matter it. how bad it is. And I Wait, just want to not take. Did he? Did he not prick your finger before when you joined? <laughs> did you not prick your finger? We definitely did not have any blood drawn. That you know of. <laughs> if you're taking blood without consent, we've got much bigger issues. I have yeah. recording you saying consent. Consent. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, and I just want to say that uh, the lady was playing General Desai, not her mother that's who that that it was a general the that one. was the one in the the parts that were taking place this lady this the one the one who's only has like half a head of hair you're right she was in in both she was in the present and in the past general desai and young desai it's a different lady it wasn't her mother okay she refers to as her as mother in the old stuff I'm so confused now. So am I. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just where you're going to be with that show. So just stay with it. (laughs) Let's get into Russian Doll. Season one, episode five. Uh, Steven, do you remember this episode? Did you go back and watch it? I watched this one. Yeah, I actually like rewatched, rewatched, as opposed to the last couple where I just skipped. Um, Hey. No. uh, What? Wait, no. Sorry. Did I not say last episode that they were dying at the same time? You did. Yeah, that, that, that was definitely one of the theories in there. However, are they coming are. back at the same time? Because he has enough time to make it all the way over to that part. Get dressed, make it all the way over to that party before she comes out of the bathroom. No, uh-huh. I don't think they're coming back at the same time, but I think they do have to die at the same time. Okay. Put it out there. That's yeah. the thing that he says. He says, I think we're dying at the same time. But he also said a lot of other stuff, and she said a lot of other stuff also. Okay, cool. But like so I said that said. thing too, so that's what I'm going to put. And sometimes she's out of the bathroom by the time he gets there, and sometimes she isn't. So I think it depends just however long she takes to get herself in the right mindset to deal with everything. That's why the people end up knocking. She's been in there for four hours. <laughs> she's like, "Is this?" I need to know is the fact that I'm not hearing the "gotta get up, gotta get out" song. One of the changes, like the the fish not being there anymore, is is that a thing? Or the gas leak at Ruth's? The gas leak at Ruth's, yeah. Um, I don't think that's that one because I believe the song comes up again later okay. in like a little kind of scene. Um, like it's it's playing and it's like in the background, kind of far away. Essentially, just so, the soundtrack yeah. is just they decided they didn't want to play the song again for us. Yeah. Okay. 
They get tired of listening to it. I never get tired of listening to that song. Yeah. So it's great. <laughs> At least that first part of the chorus that is the only part that I know. <laughs> uh, so for this episode, uh, I was wondering, did how did you guys feel about the character development that we got for each of these characters in this one? Because I feel like this is one that's just loaded with character development. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it was great. That I, whole having to do with being told, maybe you're a bad person. <laughs> well done. I mean, and the reaction to it was great, too. The thing that Libby or Lizzie like was telling her is like, is that really a bad thing though? Like your friends should know what's a person that's good for you would be like who you should be good in a relationship with. Like she wasn't telling her anything horrible. She's just saying that's probably not the best person for you to be in a relationship with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it was said because you don't like that person. Not let's say what, what were the reasons behind it? Well, we don't get enough information. Valid. But being that she does seem a little guilty when it's said, maybe she did have other outside reasons other than just because her other outside reason could be her friend clearly would have moved, yeah. would have been completely different, not a partier anymore. Like, I mean, I that's, like that was that's a also bit true. She would have those dogs. She would. She would live upstate and would be able to. Yeah, and wouldn't be able she, to. Commiser- she would. Wouldn't be able to commiserate about a terrible life that they're having. <laughs> yeah. She. You really drove home the thing with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but that's another thing. She told her, "You no, you should not get two masters. You live in a small apartment in New York. It's not a good idea." Like that is good advice. That's not being mean. I, I agree with that, but she she wouldn't live. In the small apartment, she'd be upstate. She'd have lived upstate with. I don't think those two things were exclusively like, or exclusive to each other in the scenario. Like they just (laughs) happened to be at the end. Like she's like, I could have got it if I if I was off with that other woman. Yeah, (laughs) person I wanted to marry. That's what I was trying to go for. Anyways, the the, 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 one of the things that um that struck me in rewatching this episode is seriously like just how much I really feel for the guy that Nadia was with before. Oh, yeah. Like, John? Obviously, yeah. Um, obviously, she, like, the the way that their relationship it went was not great because she can't give in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that is, it's kind of like the polar opposite to the relationship for this other new character whose name I can't remember. Alan? Alan. Thank you. Uh, so I, I don't know if we're supposed to see that contrast in there because he wants to give, but he's not ready to give. That's fair. Um, yeah. Do you think that's what can, I mean, obviously, you know, stuff. So does anybody else think that that's what connects the two of them? Like the fact that they are opposites? No, I think what connects them is their current inability to attach themselves emotionally to others mm-hmm. in any in any real way because a lot of the character development that comes out in this episode is Nadia caring about Ruth and then John's daughter when she realizes that in all these potential other universes Ruth is grieving her death every time she dies 
and is continuing mm-hmm. to have to grieve her death, and she doesn't want John's daughter to have to go through that. I don't think it's the grieving, though, for John's daughter. It's just the fact that someone dying in front of her. Yeah. And for Alan, he starts to get connected when he finally starts to talk to Gingerman. Gingerbread Man. Gingerbread Man. <laughs> Mike. Mike. Is that what it is? I think. <coughs> Dr. STD. Yeah. <laughs> and and gets into the conversation. I'm sorry, Professor STD. Yeah, Professor STD, because Professor STD is very cognizant and aware of exactly who he is and what he does. He's not anybody's choice. He is the lack of choice. He's the void yeah. where a choice should be. And, and he's Which... okay with that. He's accepted that. And neither Nadia or Alan have really accepted where they are. Huh. Now, do, do you think that that's actual acceptance on that character's part of who he is or is that just a different like it's the it's a different manifestation of someone's displeasure with their state like feigned acceptance of it because they don't want to change or can't change acceptance i i guess i don't put a connotative quality to acceptance that's fair. This is who I am. Whether or not that's who I want to be, I've accepted that this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Nadia and Alan don't see themselves as we see them or as others see them, potentially, mm-hmm. to varying degrees in terms of ability to emotionally connect and stability and where they should be. There's a, there's a definite disconnect and lack of acceptance of who they are and what roles they fill. Just because you accept that this is who you are doesn't mean you necessarily don't want to change that. It's mm-hmm. just without at least figuring out where your actual start point is, it becomes very hard to change. Uh, I know that, so uh, one of the things that I think this show does best is talking about dysfunctional relationships. It mm-hmm. confronts those things while also showing people running away from those things in at full speed. Um, I know where John and I sit with dysfunctional relationships. Um, I don't know about you guys. Does that stuff hit home for any of you in any way? I'm sure that Uh, everybody in one way or another has a reference to dysfunctional relationships. I don't particularly have one to one of the two ways that are shown in this show. But yeah, I mean, dysfunctional relationship is a part of everybody's growing at some point i would assume mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do do those things ring true for you guys in this series from like from any any of those experiences or does it seem like a less than realistic representation it, it not less than realistic by any means it is not my experience with dysfunctional relationships it's it's not how i have ever seen them played out in my life I have, however, seen this exact play out in those I am close to, where okay. I, where I am playing mm-hmm. one of the tangential characters. I'm playing. Um, you made the chicken. I made the chicken. <laughs> for sure, made a birthday chicken. I for sure made birthday chicken. I however did not offer anybody any weed laced with cocaine, but really ketamine. <laughs> um, I thought that I mean I I never had a, a romantic relationship with someone that I was worried that if I told them something that would upset them they would go kill themselves uh, as Beatrice keeps saying about Alan 
but mm-hmm. I I would say that I've had a platonic relationship with a person like that. So I guess mm-hmm. if that's similar or not, it I could say okay. that. Yeah. I'm pretty good at once I realize things are going to get dysfunctional, I cut it off. So I don't need to deal with that. I don't like conflicts. We're not going to work <laughs> out. I'm done. Yeah. That's like that that's that's the the spot where like personally like i always was until that actually finally happened and i was like well fuck yeah. <laughs> like, like like three and a half years in you know <laughs> um i don't know john for you like is it was there anything in this episode that was like the most poignant part of really like any of the inner character relationships um yeah i like how their negative traits were just kind of exposed to them, to both of them. Um, And they were kind of not entirely in denial. Like they kind of understood like, oh yeah, that's definitely an issue I have. But it was still just kind of like the the harsh way that it was presented to them. Like um, Alan with uh, Professor STD, you know, being called out that way. He was like, hey, she doesn't, want me to replace you she just doesn't want you <clears throat> and he's just the vessel to like help with that i was yeah. like damn like <laughs> yeah being someone who's been in that situation it's like that hits home pretty hard and like i could see the you know the wheels turning in alan just kind of trying to just wrap his mind around that that you know he is the problem that he is the one that has the issues um, and you can see just from how like how tightly wound he is, mm-hmm. how OCD, how um, you know, from what B was saying that she was almost afraid to leave him, and you know that's clearly not a healthy relationship. But he was still trying to do everything he could to keep her in it, including proposing to her, which he probably didn't even really want to do. That was more of a survival instinct, you mm-hmm. know, just kind of throwing a help Mary for the relationship. Mm-hmm. So, actually wanted to do and uh, again i was like man like this is actually pretty pretty well written and i guess in this episode having to see this side of both of them especially nadia uh coming to terms with the fact that she ruined john's like marriage and then on top of that couldn't face his daughter um like that's showing you know the different side of her normally nonchalant attitude of like, you know, just kind of a carefree existence here. She's seeing that, you know, her actions have the consequences that they've had. And especially with the fact that Ruth also mourned her and like that part is affecting her too. So Mm -hmm. I think if I was to come up with some theory about what's going on is kind of what you mentioned earlier, uh, or maybe somebody else did that this whole thing is them coming to terms with the effects that they have on those around them and how their detachment is not healthy um but that being said my favorite moment of the whole episode was when the two of them are contemplating the bathroom door (laughs) (laughs) i thought you were wondering when we'd circle back to this (laughs) i really like that he's like yeah i don't have one of those though (laughs) i don't have a black hole in my bathroom (laughs) is it a possibility to anybody else because obviously steven knows uh that this is a so to speak a, a glitch 
because the two of them in the original timeline died at the exact same moment, so thus the universe didn't know what to do and it restarted them, but now it's a coding error and they keep dying at the exact same time kind of thing. Okay. It's like a record skipping kind of... Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Like it will always skip at that one point because there's that there's a bump right there, there's a warp right there. So for the two of them, since they're now interconnected because they just by complete random happenstance both died at the exact same moment, which I would like to to find yeah. out why Alan died the first time. the first time around, the like how time. he died. Uh, she, I would assume it's she uh, Beatrice broke up with him and then he left the, her apartment. <laughs> Maybe when got drunk with uh, his buddy who runs the bodega and then walked into traffic or something. Well, that would make sense because Nadia's first death was she got hit by a car. She did get hit by a car. So if mm-hmm. they both died at the same time in the same way, that could fit your glitch theory. Right. And it would then become relevant as to why she's a coder if it's a glitch in the coding. There you go. I mean, that's just a thing. I was thinking. <laughs> I, I do like the idea of this happening. And sure, this is some like super crazy circumstance that you'd think if this happened, this has to have some massive significance. I got to figure out this puzzle, undo it so I can move forward. But it's nothing. Right. And you're just, you're just like, you're just being forced to like, to confront all of the shitty things you've done in your life because of some <laughs> circumstance, but it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> You know, I just watched an episode of Star Trek Next Generation, because I'm still doing that binge. Yeah. That had essentially the same plot as, well, so far, what we've seen in uh, in this in Russian Doll. Which where, episode is this? Is it the one with uh, the cards and the pips on Riker's collar? Yes, that's exactly it. That's like yes. one of the only episodes of Star Trek Next Generation that I love. Yeah. <laughs> Which episode is this? What is it? They're in the time um, loop. I, I forget the name, but it's the one that has the cameo by Kelsey Grammer for like two seconds at the very end. He plays he's, like he's the admiral. Oh, oh, I okay. And this is like the there's the shadow ship kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So what happened there um, to kind of tie it into something like this? Um, they run across a temporal anomaly in space, and uh, they the ship ends up blowing up. But then they all revert back to like the some of the main characters go back to their poker game they were playing, um, and then after a couple of iterations, they start to realize like, hey, like doesn't it feel like we've done this before? So for them, it's a lot slower. Like they only remember sort of like a deja vu version of it, um, and each time they kind of get a little bit further. Like they understand a little bit more, um, and uh, at the very end, they realize that they can change, but only like one thing. So they're all like, oh, we got to change this one thing to remind our next version of ourselves that this has already happened and so on. And uh, you don't know what it is until the very end. But yeah, they program it so that the number three keeps reappearing everywhere. Mm-hmm. And Data's the one that catches it. And it's like, oh. Uh, and that's because that's the number of insignias that Riker has. So like at a very key point, Riker and Data both have ideas as to how to prevent the ship from blowing up. And Picard always chooses Data's idea. And then Data's like, oh, wait, no, we should listen to Riker's idea instead. And that's what breaks the chain. So I was thinking about that when I saw this episode of Russian Doll. I was thinking like, oh, 
But in this one, they remember everything. Like it's more like Groundhog's Day. So, but things are now changing. So in reality, it's nothing like it at all. It's just reminded me of it a little bit. Well, except based off of what you're describing, it is similar in the fact that the two of them are required to notice it and make each force each other to choose different decisions mm-hmm. than what they have been, which has been altering how things have been going. Ah, maybe that's because both of them are outside of the normal, I guess, time stream or something. Yeah. Which is why they're the only ones that can affect each other. That reminds me of another episode that I just watched <laughs> where Jordy LaForge and Ensign Rowe get phased out of regular existence and they're kind of in a ghost dimension and they have to figure out how to, like, they can still touch each other because they're both in the same state of phase, but they can walk through walls and essentially they're like ghosts in the in the regular enterprise is kind of interesting so maybe those two are in a separate state of existence which is why they can have influence on each other uh, but not the you know the rest of the world does not interesting i, also, I love vincent Rowe. <laughs> i also love the fact that we got to see a russian doll in this episode yeah yes, with a <laughs> bunch of mirrors <laughs> <laughs> mirrors so many mirrors. I pointed at it and I said, that's the thing. I, I, did, the, I did the Leonardo DiCaprio meme too. Yeah. <laughs> is, is there anything that you guys think um, has like significantly modified your guys' theory going forward? I, I do like Nadia points out that there are dimensions in which Ruth is grieving her because mm-hmm. I like dimension theory because that's something I can understand a bit more. <laughs> so I do, yeah. And I do kind of like the dimension theory too. And the fact if they are actually dying at the same time, I feel like that would be because if they don't die at the same time and they're going through this, then it would somehow break the universe kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I, I kind of like the dimension theory because at least it's understandable for me. I also kind of like mirrors had to, that's more my, fantasy and mythology self which knew that mirrors has a lot a lot of dark lore tied to them and evil lore so i but i still have no idea (laughs) (laughs) honestly i i you know in time travel stuff science fiction uh, so to speak i never subscribe to the multiple timeline stuff unless it you know literally has that part of the story because i always like the idea that you know it's relative to the person like if that person is no longer in that time, it doesn't exist. Like it just, I don't know it, it, in this particular one, that timeline is erased because they go back in time, in time. Like to me, that's how I see it. Okay. So which would be a destruction of dimensions basically. So a destruction of the universe. I, I like, of? I like yeah. multiple dimension theories. <laughs> <laughs> See, I have a slightly new theory, well, a modified theory then, based on everything we've seen so far. And kind of with the visual of the Russian doll now, I'm starting to wonder um, if every time they, like, let's imagine that all of these dimensions are stacked up over each other, mm-hmm. like a Russian doll. Right. Uh, but with a time difference that uh, matches when they die in one dimension the next dimension is where they keep picking up from. So that's like, let's say it's like a safe point. 
So every time they die in a, in one dimension, because I guess we're going to go with that dimensional theory now, maybe, or if not, let's just run with it. Okay. Uh, everything continues to happen as is normal. Like life keeps going on in each dimension that she dies. Because she mentioned that Ruth mourns her, you know, like every time she's well, she knows she. Dies. That's what that's she believes. Theory. Yeah, she doesn't know yeah, that for a theory. fact. Um. But so they, the they do have the same conversation again. You hear in the background the conversation had about. Oh, who was it? Oh no, I can't remember the conversation. They were reading. The paper. The two side characters were reading the paper, and they had a conversation about what was in the paper. And this episode, you heard it in the background when Alan woke up. It was the same conversation you heard like four yeah. episodes ago. I can't hmm. remember what exactly they were talking about, though. But at the same time, at least it's relatively noticeable. Ruth has seemed to age over the episodes. The, there's one thing about that. I, I don't know if that's something about the character continuing to age. I think that's more that she is actually around Ruth more than she was other times. Um, Like she's getting to spend more time with the people that were closest to her. And I think she might be coming to terms with the fact that Ruth is getting older in general. Yeah. Got it. And I think in that first episode, Ruth is coming out to a party. She's put on makeup and stuff like that. And these, the other times it's more, uh, well, except there was, the second episode where, where she we're went at, to her house went to her house and root you know the record player record mm-hmm. player um so. that's fair i it could be either way you know honestly the first time uh, in this episode when she goes there early in the morning to look for the book i immediately thought you should announce yourself because <laughs> you know you're walking into an old person's home and you know they might not know that you're you're going to be there and then the second time around just shoots her <laughs> yeah that, that that scene messed me up i know it's supposed to that's the whole point that is but the like, point that, it, messed it was well acted too. that yeah. was very well done that was devastating I'm guessing that's the one that more upset her because now not only does does Ruth have to mourn her, she has to feel guilty for killing her and mourn her. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I, oh. I think what it really was relevant for was she saw Ruth mourning. Mm. So it clicked that, oh, somebody will mourn my death because I think mm-hmm. for her, she never... Mm put together well nobody cares about me nobody's gonna mourn my death like yeah my friends will be you know a little sad but they'll be fine they don't really like me anyway (laughs) kind of thing no that's fair i I agree with this one yeah because i think it is again showing the effects that people have on other people it's just a different it's a like the flip side to that same coin of the negative effect I'm glad you guys are watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> had you had anybody to talk about with the show before? Nope. Oh. Nobody nobody watched this and nobody watched uh, Maniac either. Well, I think the two shows. I'm still never going to watch together. Maniac. I want to watch that one next, to be honest. I need to watch that one, too. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Something else has to come out to say this. But um, now here's my question. If we presume that the dimensions are like that Russian doll... And that they're nested inside each other. Eventually you come to the end of the doll. Is mm-hmm. there any point where they run out of lives, even if they haven't figured it out? I mean, it depends if there's microtransactions in this game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. 
Well, if they use the Konami code, they have 30, so I think they're half. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Konami code on Super Contra was infinite lives. Was it? I thought it, well, it was 30 in the original and in Life Force. Uh, I think that's, okay. what they, that's where but I But a Russian doll is not infinite. You get the, to the end of a Russian doll. I, I think at that point, the thing that they w- it would switch to from being like lives or whatever would be the fact that you're at the core of it. The core of the problem. I think the metaphorical Russian doll, though, is supposed to be infinite. Yes. Like you in uh, the actual doll. Yes, you yeah. can only you can only make so much. But I think the the metaphor of it is that it's supposed to be infinite. Plus, if that middle one is sealed up, but it is hollow. I mean. <laughs> It's it, at, the, at that point, it's basically Schrodinger's Matryoshka, you know? <laughs> it, are there more dolls inside? <laughs> That's fair. Oh, thank so, you for that, Steven. Uh, <laughs> this is the this is the 16th death for the characters. Uh, and this is a, this episode also won an Emmy for Outstanding Contemporary <laughs> Costumes, just for a little bit of trivia for anybody that wants to know that. So huh. they wore really good like today outfits yes yeah. <laughs> i mean what's her face's outfit with the the chiffon no teflon or the teflon g- yes the, not teflon <laughs> the, the green sleevey thing that that's chiffon yeah okay yeah that thing is interesting <laughs> i kind of wanted to see where you were to go with this <laughs> It, it's, it's funny that this this would be the one that won the award for costuming because I do think everyone's particularly well dressed. Um, like people are wearing clothes that are believably mundane at times. Um, but uh, this is the episode where she says, "Like it's fine, I wear the same clothes every day." <laughs> oh, okay. She says that in this episode. <laughs> okay, so I think uh, if anybody would like to get a hold of me, you can talk more about Russian doll. Unless anybody else has anything more they wanted to say about it here, right now. No? You can find me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia. G-E-M-G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. Jessica, where can people find you online? They can find me on Twitter as J.M. Bailey Writes. John, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Magic Bollocks. And uh, tweet me the contents of your bug out bag. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a, a current bug out bag there, John? You don't have to tell me the contents, but no, I have a Walmart bag, and I, I don't mind <laughs> telling you, I got like some wet naps and some like band aids. Hey, right now wet naps are uh, are a commodity. A <laughs> yeah, I need to use them like currency once everything goes down. <laughs> Stephen, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me across social media as Peppermint Gentleman or Peppermint Gent on all social media that doesn't allow you to have that many characters. <laughs> <laughs> and Elizabeth? You can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. That's correct. Also <laughs> check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network on our website, geekelitemedia.com. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to... Geek Geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. 